Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. USA vs. Mexico in Ohio. It's a major event on the U.S. soccer calendar every four years, and today it's finally here. Sam Stayskull and Felipe Cardenas are here to update us on what's at stake for both these teams in this matchup at the top of the CONCACAF octagonal. Also, Josh Cloak is here to tell us about Canada's rise to the CONCACAF elite and what to expect from their game tonight against Costa Rica. I'm Alex Abnos, and this is Soccer Every Day for Friday, November 12th. Felipe, thank you for coming on the show two days in a row with you. This one will be uh, a little bit shorter. just want to take a quick look at Mexico ahead of tonight's huge, gigantic, amazing, always awesome, always delivers USA-Mexico USA game, uh, this time in World Cup qualification in Cincinnati. We will, Felipe, you will be in Cincinnati. Uh, you are not in Cincinnati right now. We are recording this on Wednesday. Uh, you have been covering Mexico throughout the qualification process. What should we be looking out for with them in this game tonight? You know, I think with Mexico, uh, the the theme has been, can they have a breakout game? You know, everyone sort of knows how they play. They're very consistent in their formation. They're, they tend to be uh, tactically disciplined as well under Tata Martino. You know the sort of the players that are going to line up. You know the starting 11 a lot of the times. He doesn't tinker. He doesn't experiment very often. And they have a front three that's as good as any, definitely in CONCACAF, uh, with Raul Jimenez as the number nine, Tecatito Corona on the right wing, and Chucky Lozano on the left. So it's like they have firepower, and they can beat teams in transition. They've just been... Uh, they haven't been good enough, you know, to be dominant. They're in first place and we're still talking about a team that hasn't been good enough. But I think that's the theme. Like, can they have a breakout performance against their rival? And can they show the guts, you know, the heart and the character to overcome the two previous losses to their bitter rival in the United States? I think that's the theme for me. Uh, you've referred to those two losses. Those came in the Gold Cup final and the Nations League final uh, this past summer. Uh, Felipe, you did a story this week that I thought was really interesting about the state of Mexico's defensive unit, their their back line, and specifically how they are still sort of looking for players that can step in and be sort of counted, counted upon every single day. Players, Tata Martino still running through a bunch of options, particularly at center back and a little bit in the fullback positions. Uh, what do you see happening along those lines against the United States, which does have so much danger on the wings with, you know, the possible return of Christian Pulisic. And even if he's not there, Brendan Aronson, Tim Weah, Ricardo Pepe, who is in great form at, at striker. Uh, what will you be looking for from Mexico's backline tonight? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the shape, like what shape does Tata Martino decide on? It's a team that is comfortable playing in, in, a, in a back four and a four, three, three. They can play with a back three as well. Uh, he's lost some guys. Nestor Araujo, who's the Celta Vigo defender, who he tends to stick with alongside Hector Moreno, the two veteran defenders. 
Araujo is suspended after receiving a second yellow against El Salvador. So it opens up a spot. It opens up a spot at center back for Tata Martino to decide upon. And I think that the, the choices he has are young players. Cesar Montes from Monterrey, a 23-year-old who was more than likely to start, was injured just a few days ago playing against Club America. So he's out against the United States and Canada. Uh, so I think you may see a new face in the back line for against the United States. And he has options there. He has a player in Johan Vasquez, who plays in Serie A for Genoa, uh, a former Pumas defender, a left footer, very clean, very technical, you know, has the, the speed to, to recover in, in transition, uh, which is which is a nice uh, sort of uh, opposite characteristic to Hector Moreno, the the, the veteran th- of three World Cups that's playing on the left side. That just isn't a pacey defender. Uh, a couple new faces uh, from Atlas, Jesus Angulo, is is an interesting player. Uh, left footed as well, uh, can, can can be sort of a, a shut down sort of center back, and can also play in a back three where you're going to see a lot of the ball and have a lot of possession. I think he's a very technical player. Uh, that played recently for Mexico against Ecuador, started in the back line for Tata Martino and played well. So uh, at, for me, the uh, of the starting 11, Martino has some a big decision to make in the back line. Like, what does he do? Who is he going to rely on? Does he shift, you know, uh, Julio Cesar Dominguez from Cruz Azul, who's a 33-year-old right back, but tough enough and clean enough to play as a back, as a, as a center back as well? Or do you just stick to sort of the back three and go, uh, Jesus Gajardo as your as your left back, Hector Moreno and Jesus Angulo or Johan Vasquez. I, I think for me, knowing Tata Martino, he really does prioritize technical ability. Uh, I wonder if he's f- comfortable with playing with essentially a back line of all left-footed players and how that changes the way that they per- perhaps build out of the back. It'll be interesting to see for sure. Felipe, thank you so much for coming on the show and giving us something to look for with uh, with El Tri tonight. Anytime, man. Sam, State School, thank you for coming on the show. You are in Cincinnati right now with the United States. Uh, we, we're speaking today on, on Thursday. The game is tomorrow, but we're listening to it today, so we're going to be saying today. <laughs> uh, the game is today. <laughs> I'll stick with days of the week, Thursday days, and Friday. Thursday and Friday. Let's do that. Anyway, you're in camp with the U.S. team. Uh, pretty much all the time, but including right now. Yeah. What's the mood in camp right now ahead of this huge, huge, huge game? Uh, USA-Mexico games only come around so often in a yeah. meaningful context. We've had three of them this year, though, so are they, yeah. are they sick of this yet? No. no this, this game doesn't get old. And, you know, there's an interesting element to this one. There are a lot of interesting elements to this one, but one of the things that's jumping out to me is that this is sort of the last chapter of this qualifier. Uh Obviously, they're both trying to attempt to qualify for a 32-team World Cup in Qatar next year. Uh, The stakes are similar to what they've been for the last however many cycles. Next cycle will be different. Both countries, along with Canada, will be hosting the World Cup in 2026. They're going to qualify. They're not going to have to go through qualification to qualify. And then in 2030, as well as in 2026 for that matter, 48 teams will be included. So a CONCACAF path that is already... um, you know, shall we say one that the U.S. and Mexico are strongly favored to advance out of? Uh, will become, we can't call it easy anymore. <laughs> will become more forgiving uh, yeah. when when sixteen additional teams around the world make the tournament. So this is kind of the last one of this era. Uh, so I'm interested in that. To answer your question about the moon and camp, you know, 
I thought it was interesting. Thursday, Greg Berhalter spoke with us, and he said that he feels like Mexico doesn't give the U.S. the proper respect. Memo Ochoa had a comment about, yeah, it's a rivalry, but, you know, we're this mirror that the U.S. looks into, and, and they, they hope to see themselves. They want to copy us, that sort of stuff. And, and Berhalter referenced that comment in his press conference and was like, you know, I guess beating them in two finals this summer wasn't enough, so we're going to have to go out and earn their respect again on Friday night. Um, so, you know, little bulletin board material for the USMNT. That stuff never hurts, and that stuff is very real on any pro sports team. And so they're absolutely using that, and uh, I expect they'll come out flying. It'll be interesting to see how they maintain the balance be- between super high energy and staying in a little bit of control. Well, we'll, we'll I, I want to ask a little bit more about what you expect from this game a little bit later. But first of all, there are two pretty big lineup decisions that Greg Berhalter uh, offered in his yeah. in his availability t- today. He doesn't often do that, but we already know that Christian Pulisic uh, will not start this game, mm-hmm. and Zach Steffen, the goalkeeper, will over Matt Turner. Uh, can you dive into sort of each one of those situations and how you see it affecting the game tonight? Sure. So Pulisic, you know, Berhalter basically said, he just laid out the facts. Pulisic was injured on September 8th in Honduras. He sprained his ankle off of a challenge from Minor Figueroa. He did not return to full training with Chelsea until October 28th. A few days after that, he came off the bench in a Champions League match at Malmo. He played 16 minutes, and then he played five minutes off the bench in their 1-1 draw in the Premier League against Burnley on Saturday. He hasn't really trained. He's probably got three or four full sessions under his belt. He's got 25 minutes under his belt on the field. So Berhalter called it common sense that he wouldn't start. Uh, a player with that kind of workload coming off a two-month absence in a game of this magnitude that figures to be this intense in this high tempo as U.S.-Mexico figures to be on Friday night. So that's that's basically what he said about it. Um, you know, it's not a huge surprise. Maybe the irrational part of my head was thinking that Pulisic was going to go to Berhalter and be like, listen, I'm starting this game. And Berhalter was going to be like, yeah, you are. Um, but but Chelsea manager Tomas Tuchel and, and his concerns about Pulisic's workload with the U.S. Uh, I guess he doesn't need to be so concerned. Those were assuaged, assuaged. I don't know. Assuaged. You got it. All right. I should have been more confident. Um, yeah, Pulisic won't be starting tomorrow. So that'll that'll obviously have ramifications. Zach Steffen will be starting though. Um, that's where we have a classic U.S. national team goalkeeper competition at this point, which I think is interesting. Um, why do you think Zach Steffen was chosen for this game over Matt Turner? I think because generally they prefer him. I think that's basically it. Uh, I think, you know, obviously Turner was the starter for the first five matches of qualifying, but Steffen entered qualifying as the number one. He missed the first match at El Salvador because of back spasms. He then caught COVID and missed the second and third games in the September window. Uh, Turner started the first two. He maintained his starting place for the first two matches in October. And then Berhalter started Stefan in his old home city, home club team city of Columbus. That didn't make sense. You know what I mean. Uh, I in, in the final qualifier of the October window against Costa Rica. Stefan had, you know, not a great moment on the opening goal for Costa Rica, coming off of his line way out of the box and not getting enough on a headed, headed clearance attempt uh, that led to Costa Rica scoring. But... You know, he's at Manchester City. He just signed a new contract. He got a couple games after the October window for them, and he looked good in both of them. Um, and generally, I think they prefer him for his feet, for his overall shot-stopping ability, everything. I think they just think he's a better goalkeeper. 
And I think that's why that he's getting the nod, despite the fact that Turner is playing more regularly and has done well in his chances for the U.S. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Uh, one player that is very likely, I would say, almost a definite lock to start uh, tomorrow, especially given the not starting status of Pulisic is Brandon Aronson. You wrote about him this week. Uh, why? I mean, I think it's actually pretty obvious why you wrote about him because he's had a great uh, start to qualifying. But <laughs> what about him did you find out that you didn't know before in the process of doing that story? Um, you know, we knew a little bit about this beforehand, but Aronson came off of the 2019 season, his first as a pro. It was solid. He was second in the Rookie of the Year voting. He had a good campaign for the Philadelphia Union. Entered 2020, good prospect, relatively incomplete, especially in the final third. And then COVID happens, and MLS suspends the season. And Aronson comes back out of that suspension at MLS's back, firing on all cylinders. He made the all-tournament team in Orlando, um, and you know he continued on, and he had a good season, ended up making best 11 in MLS. I'm not sure if he necessarily deserved that honor relative to his other Philadelphia Union midfield teammates, but he got it, and he had a really good season. And... You know, I just learned that part of the reason, I knew he was able to train a lot with his little brother, who is now a homegrown midfielder for the Union, Paxton Aronson. But I didn't know exactly what that looked like. And it turns out his dad, Rusty Aronson, um, who runs a youth club called Real Jersey, opened an indoor facility right near their house in Medford, New Jersey, just before the pandemic began. When the pandemic started, that facility became closed to the public. Paxton and Brendan had the run of the place. So they went every single day, every day in the morning with Rusty. They did technical training uh, when the weather allowed in the afternoons. They would go outside and work on their finishing. And then in the evenings, they would play one-on-one games against each other. And these are just grown-up versions of the barefoot games that they would play in their basement growing up, working on their touches. And and Aronson came back, and he was firing on all cylinders. And Jim Curtin, the union head coach, told me, he was like one of two players on the team, along with Jose Martinez, who apparently was putting himself through boot camp down in Miami during the suspension. <laughs> um, but he was one of two players that came back after the break and was, looked a lot better than he did beforehand, which was a hard thing to do. We all remember what life was like in those days. Yeah. Um, so learned more about kind of the circumstances of how that happened. And I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, and, you know, he's only continued his rise since then. He's done great with Salzburg and obviously really excelled with the national team here in qualifying. So in tonight's game, these USA Mexico games, as we've seen already through both of the, the Nations League final and the Gold Cup final, and even just generally every time they play each other, these games tend to be track meets. They tend to be pretty frantic, yeah. a lot going on. Uh, is there any indication whatsoever that tonight's game will be different? No. <laughs> um you know alex i remember the that nations league final you and i actually watched it together yeah um and we were commenting in real time like this game is so fast it is so open it is just back and forth and we're sitting there screaming at the tv as it's going 
And I think tomorrow maybe won't be quite that open. I, I don't think Mexico will necessarily push as hard for a win. I think they'd be totally fine with a draw. Um, But I do think it's going to be very fast-paced. I think it's going to be very intense. And everything the players and Berhalter have said, both this week and last week, when you're talking about Berhalter, has, you know, uh, strengthened that line of thinking. Um, So I think it'll be that way. It's going to be fun. It's going to be wild. You know, that crowd, it's a 9 p.m. start on a Friday. That crowd's going to be lubricated, Alex. Um, So I'm very much looking forward to the match, and I think it will be kind of wide open and intense uh, it might not be the best soccer all the time, but it's going to be fast. Well, I'm looking forward to it too, especially be- because, as you said, it is going to be really the last the last one of these that we'll get for maybe the foreseeable future. Anyway, yeah, for eight Sam, years. yeah, yeah, Sam, uh, you are in town along with Paul Tenorio to cover this game for the Athletic. You guys also have a podcast called Allocation Disorder that has been doing shows all around uh, every single one of these games. So if you would like to hear some instant analysis uh, off of each of these games uh go subscribe to that and Fe- uh, it's also felipe it, cardenas will be on with us after the felipe game cardenas who is covering mexico is also on this show um will be will be along for the ride for this one which is which is pretty cool uh thank you for coming on the show thanks for having me alex it was a great time all right all the way from edmonton canada Josh Cloak is on the road with the Canadian men's national team. He joins me on the show today. Josh, how's it going? How is Edmonton? What's what's the weather like over there? Yeah, I mean, my the feeling in my toes is only starting to come back. Uh, perhaps that's my own fault for not um, <laughs> not bringing proper proper boots. Um, but no, we um, you know match day minus one training today, and the sun was out. It's it's quite a, a beautiful day, but it is, I mean, it was minus five when I landed. I think it's hovering right around freezing now. Um, so I suppose if you were just out for a pleasant little stroll, it'd be nice. But if you're, um, you know, playing in a World Cup qualifier, might not be as as um, easygoing. Uh, but this is kind of the the environment, the, the makeup, the, the weather that I think John Herdman and the Canadian staff were kind of hoping for. Uh, they were hoping for you know, the elements to kind of work against the the Costa Rican team. And uh, I guess if I'm judging by kind of the Costa Rican media core and the amount of shivering that they're doing, I think it's, it's working so far. Yeah, I was, that was actually going to be my next question is if they chose Edmonton to play these games, the team usually, if I'm not mistaken, plays their home qualifiers or at least their home big games in Toronto. Uh, it's interesting that they're playing in Edmonton for this uh, for this duo of games against Costa Rica and then on Tuesday against Mexico. Uh, this was intentional, correct? This was very intentional. And there's three legitimate reasons behind it. Um, the first one, and, and, and John Herdman has not shied away from discussing this, it, it's to create an environment that kind of makes the visitors a little bit uncomfortable. You have, you know, Costa Rica tomorrow, and or sorry, tonight, I guess, and you have... Mexico on Tuesday, two teams that are used to playing in much warmer climates. And the idea here is you kind of throw them off their game a little bit. And it's interesting. This is very much an approach that that Canada has not utilized kind of um, in the recent past, but it's an approach that, you know, Canadian soccer historians will note is an important one. If you look back to the the match that, that helped qualify them for their only World Cup in 1986, they played their final qualifier in Newfoundland 
um, back in 1985. Um, heavy, heavy winds. And, you know, they were playing against Honduras and so many people had trouble even finding the, um, the stadium. So this is kind of this, this does have some historical context, I guess. But the other reasons, I mean, obviously, this is the home of Alfonso Davies, the, the best player that Canada has right now, arguably Canada's maybe best player of all time. Um, so it's an opportunity for him to come home. It's an opportunity for them to, you know, obviously fill the stadium uh, with, with people that are going to want to see sure. Alfonso Davies play here. Um, and the third one that I think hasn't been talked about a lot is, you know, this is also an opportunity for FIFA to get a look at Edmonton as a possible host city for the 2026 World Cup. Right. And if you can do a great job kind of, you know, yeah. showcasing, showcasing that, you know, the kind of fans and, and support that you could get in Edmonton, which certainly isn't one of Canada's most prominent cities, then, you, you know, you boost your chances. But, you know, uh, Commonwealth Stadium is a really big stadium here in Edmonton, and it's one that's hosted Women's World Cup games. Um, so it's not as if they just kind of plucked this city out of thin air. There's a few reasons for it. And I guess we'll see in a few days whether or not all those kind of reasons pay off for Canada. Well, it's interesting. Uh, for, well, first of all, we should say at this point that we're recording this on Thursday and uh, the temperature I would assume given was Celsius and not Fahrenheit, uh, hence the zero and, and negative one. I don't think it's quite, neg- I don't think it's quite zero or negative one Fahrenheit over there. At least I hope not. Um, anyway, the, the, uh, uh, I, I, it's interesting that you mention that this, how different this Canadian team is and sort of its place in history, because there is all this attacking talent. There is Al- Alfonso Davies, there's Jonathan David, Kyle Lahren, Tejon Buchanan. But I think it's interesting this week you wrote about a different type of player that's on the squad, Alistair Johnson. Uh, he's a defender. What's his importance to the team and why did you think that he was an interesting figure to write about uh, this past week? Well, I do think like Alfonso Davies, like you said, Alfonso Davies, Tejon Buchanan, Jonathan David, these are players that are very much going to be the players that get Canada into a World Cup just because of their kind of dynamic offensive potential alone. But these are also players that have kind of been covered a lot. Um, And what struck me about Alistair Johnson is a player that before 2021, he hadn't logged a single minute for the national team. He had only just started playing professional soccer for Nashville SC, an expansion side. And, you know, there's the kind of the, the common storyline here in Canada is that there are so many undiscovered players in Canada just waiting for an opportunity. And with an opportunity, you know, greatness could follow. Um, Alistair Johnson is kind of living proof of that right now in that, you know, he's playing his college soccer before and he gets drafted. And just out of nowhere with Nashville, he comes becomes this really sturdy, hard-nosed defender um, and if you look at this Canadian squad right now, they very much do not epitomize Canadian squads of the past. Squads of the 80s and 90s were, mm-hmm. you know, defensive heavy outfits. You know, they were kind of built with that old English mentality that, you know, we'll, we'll beat them down on the pitch. We'll be the fittest team on the pitch, but we won't have a lot of talent. You know, this team is very, very different. But even Alistair Johnson, in my conversation with him, described himself as a bit of a throwback, that very kind of prototypical Canadian who grew up playing hockey and uses that physicality. And if you look at this Canadian team, one thing that John Herdman has done is really tried to instill that kind of fighting spirit because, you know, we all know CONCACAF is a really difficult place to play. And so you need those 
physical players that have that kind of really intense mentality. And I think nobody has that more than Alistair Johnson on this team. And, you know, I began my story by writing about that kind of brouhaha, or as I like to call them, the, the Donnybrook, the, this bench clearing brawl that broke <laughs> out between Canada. And I know you love that term too, but, um, you know, this, this bench clearing brawl that broke out between Canada and Panama. And, you know, when Alfonso Davies first gets in there, there's Al- Alistair Johnson jumping in and defending him and pushing players away. And again, this is a young player with a season and a half of experience. So if Canada do want to succeed in these tough CONCACAF locales, you know, where things can get kind of mentally trying and physically kind of trying, you're going to need players like Alistair Johnson. So I thought he was kind of an interesting player to profile as Canada really moves into this next stage of qualifying where things are really going to get difficult for them and you need that kind of, I guess, as, as John Herdman likes to call it, that, that warrior mentality that I think Alistair Johnson has. Well, let's look ahead uh, to Friday's game. Um, Canada, obviously, with all the attacking talent that I mentioned, but still, they're capable of of sitting back and just sort of absorbing attacks. We saw this in their draw against the U.S. uh, in the previous window. How do you think that they'll come out? How do you think they'll come out against Costa Rica on Friday? Are they going to come out aggressive? Are they going to sit back? What is your read on how they'll approach the game? I think they're going to want to try and take the points where they can, right? And to me, that means they're going to come out and attack this game. Mexico, a few days later, is obviously a very difficult opponent. And I think if you can get a a draw at home against Mexico, which would mean you'd you'd have two draws against Mexico in your two games, you're sitting really, really pretty. But Costa Rica, I think Canada want to separate themselves from that kind of middle of the pack in CONCACAF right now, which I think we can count Costa Rica in there. Um, they're probably going to come out with their absolute best 11 um, and they're going to try and boss the game right away, get the points and kind of seal things up because look, there could be injuries. There could be red or, you know, yellow cards adding up in this game, right? So you, you don't know necessarily what you're going to have in Mexico, but you do know what you're going to have against Costa Rica. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if we see a really attack heavy Canada and attack minded Canada and a team that goes after the game right away because there's a lot of confidence. There's a, spirits are high in this Canadian squad right now. And, and if you're John Herdman, you probably want to take advantage of that. And understandably so. Canada, as we enter today, Friday, uh, sitting third in the CONCACAF octagonal, one point behind the U.S., two points ahead of Panama, and four ahead of Costa Rica. So this is actually a pretty big game for them. Josh Cloak. Uh, your coverage will be on The Athletic. Everybody uh, that is a subscriber can read. And uh, I look forward to reading what you have to say from this game. Thanks for coming on the show. Awesome. Thanks for having me. The United States takes on Mexico tonight at 9 p.m. on ESPN2. Canada hosts Costa Rica at around the same time. That's on Paramount Plus in the United States and Sportsnet in Canada. Josh, Felipe, Sam, and Paul Tenorio will all be doing a live Q&A on The Athletic at 2 p.m. Eastern time today. So if you have any questions about these games or these teams that I didn't get to, Athletic subscribers can ask them then. Elsewhere in soccer this evening, there's a lot of World Cup qualifying. In CONCACAF, we also have Honduras hosting Panama at 8 and El Salvador hosting Jamaica at 10 p.m. Both those games are on in the U.S. on Paramount+. 
There's also other World Cup qualifying all over the world, most of which we covered either on yesterday's show with Felipe Cardenas, where we covered South America, or Wednesday's show with Brooks Peck, where we covered Europe, with a bit of Asia and Africa in there as well. Tonight, though, the perfect lead-in to the big CONCACAF contests, Uruguay versus Argentina at 6 p.m., that'll be on Fubo TV. This show is produced by Mike Zimmerman with help from John Hayes. You can get ad-free versions of the show by subscribing to The Athletic, and you can get 33% off a year subscription by going to theathletic.com slash soccer every day. We'll be back on Monday. Enjoy the games. Thanks for listening, and happy soccer to you all. <laughs>